0: It's uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad that we are kind of back to the routine of things. We here, we meet on Fridays, and we meet for uh, Bible study on Wednesdays or whichever day Friday. that we. Friday. Friday. Did I say Friday? Yeah. yeah. Wednesdays. Uh, so those are you know those are our routine, and you know we call this ordinary time in church calendar, um, but it's not just for us to sit. You know the the way we are, the LifeLight Church. There's a girl that some of you know. She goes to church. She goes to her church has a meetings. She goes to church on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday Bible, Tuesday prayer meeting, Wednesday Bible study, um, Friday another fellowship meeting, and she goes to church on Sunday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Right? There are a lot of churches do that. Churches have like Wednesday, like right? churches have um, their community group nights. Right And they have a Wednesday evening, they have Sunday evening service, they have Friday night thing. A lot of churches meet a lot and and, and are busy, and the, what we believe is that you shouldn't be busy with the church but busy being out there, reaching out, living your life um, and and doing the work of work of the gospel right now that can turn it into where you are just we are just lazy, like, oh, I went to church on Sunday, that's all I do, and really not engaged the The reason that we are we do what we do and the way we do it is so that you are free and you have time to do the work. So what that basically means is <laughs> do the work, right? It's the time to get on to do the work. There's work we do through young life. There's work you do through your own ways. Um, if there if you're not sure like what you want to do, or what you should do, and how you want to be serving and um, You know, working for the gospel, serving the gospel, then ask people around you. Those who are being around longer, um, that are mature, ask me, ask Josh, you know, ask Esther. um, Ask us, and we'd love to guide you where you are involved and serving fully. Right? It's not just meeting Sundays and meeting on Wednesday. And Wednesday has been sort of not very thrilling uh, because there are, we're missing a bunch of you. We need you there. I think if there's, I'm going to mention it today again. We need to study the Bible. It's important. Right? If we need the Word. You need to be there. Okay? Be diligent in meeting on Sundays and Wednesdays, but don't be done with it, because there are other works to do, whether it's Young Life, Young Life College, Capernaum, or uh, any other way that you're involved. And we'd love for you to get involved. Get busy. Do not be lazy. Okay? So that's our time. This is time we're going to be consistent for at least up to, you know, spring. Um, and what we want to do is work hard, okay? Work hard. All right. Um, you know, my uncle passed away. And one thing I realized with my uncle's passing is he's been around pastors in the family. He's been around church. He's gone to church, but he never he never came to faith. And, you know, I have a pretty good feeling that he never did, even in his deathbed, Right? Um, the heart that is so, you know, hardened—it's so hard to reach. And you have people like that in your life, right? Don't let it be too late. You need to reach out to them, you know. Um, and that's really what we do: saving, leading people to Christ. That's what we do. We need to work hard. Do not miss the time. It's our work. It's the work that we have to do. And that's a bit of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so let's go ahead and look. Um, We are at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 to chapter 11, verse 1. Let's look at where we are real quick because, you know, the things we've been reading, it's more interesting today because what we have, the passage we have today kind of summarizes uh, what Paul has been saying since chapter 8. We talked about this in previous Sundays too. Since chapter 8, Paul has been talking about what? eating meat, right? Meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And uh, y- you look at it, and if you want to open it up and go, go back to chapter 8, in verse 1, Paul says, now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge pops up, love builds up. He also said things like in verse 4, chapter 8, we know that no idols in the world really exist, and, th- and that there is no God but one, and uh, in verse 6, he says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And uh, some of the things he's going to mention, he's going to summarize all of these things he said since chapter 8. He also mentions again what he said in chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me. That's, that's, he's repeating what Corinthians are saying, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So we see that Paul sort of wraps up the theme that's been running since chapter 8, which is about eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. But we know, since what we talked about, for what we talked about, it's not just about eating meat, right, that's sacrificed to idols. There's more. It's about idol worshiping, because that's what's really going on in the deep, uh, in the deep end. And it's about Corinthians. Christians in Corinth about their pride, arrogance, their sexual immorality, their self-serving, irre- irresponsible behavior that Paul is pointing out. And we read that about that, Paul's instruction on that, and rebuke on that since chapter 8. So he's going to wrap all that up and kind of give a conclusion to this part. Uh, and what's coming up, we'll kind of have a mix of that, but it's a real good summary that he gives. So let's go ahead and read and see what Paul says. We're reading... Chapter 10, verse 14 to chapter 11, verse 1. So I read a verse and you read the next. Verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from worship of idols. I see just people. I'm going to point out. Paul said on our thing, flee from what? From worship of idols. And then another thing that he told us to flee from? Run. Sexual, morality. Sexual immorality. Right? When you When there's... Temptation, what, what did he say? Run. run, right? Same thing, worshiping of idol, he says just run. Just run from it, right? Uh, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifice partners in the altar? Would not. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with the demons. You cannot take a cup of the Lord
1: and have a cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the
0: Lord and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All, all things are lawful, but not all, on all, on all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but <laughs> not all things still love. Like Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the market, that will be out of the ground of conscience. For the earth and its fullness are the Lord's. If another year invites you to a meal, and you are supposed to go, eat whatever is said before you, without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, out of consideration for the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience.
1: And if not your own. For
0: why I of conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced because of that for which I give thanks?
1: So whether you whether you do be you dream, or whatever you do, you <laughs> do <every> day, <laughs>
0: Give no offense to Jews, or to Greeks, or to the Church of God. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we seek your Spirit to give us understanding, to allow us to look into our hearts, to examine ourselves, and I pray that your Spirit would help us find All that is wrong, all that is denouncing you, all that is moving away from you. And we pray that you would help us to lead life, to see what the life uh, that leads to you look like and how we can get there. Pray the words that we're about to study will convict us, will challenge us, um, but with your help that we will be able to tackle that. And uh, we pray that um, you will allow us to be giving thanks for the word and instruction but give us wisdom to understand your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we read it, so you can kind of see that Paul comes around in circle to close out his discussion on this. He started with, now concerning the food, the meat offered to uh, idol sacrificing, starts with chapter 8, verse 1, and he tackles back again on this uh, when he comes around. That eat whatever is solid meat in verse 25. So, It concludes, so you look at the structure of the passage, there are two parts. There's two parts, one, first one is from verse 14 to 22, the other one is verse 23 to 33. There are two parts, and you look at verse 14 to 22, this is a conclusion to the previous section, where we talked about this two weeks ago, where Israelites have their extra curriculum of idol worshipping, you know, when Moses went up to the Mount Sinai, they were down there having their extra curriculum of, oh, let's build a golden calf and worship this, right? Um, And and just to their history, and you're learning a lot about this in the book of Judges on Wednesday in the Bible study, right? So, last uh, passage we talked about says sin is craving of something other than God. And what that basically is, that is idol worshipping, right? So that's what Paul is saying and kind of concluding on that. And that's what Corinthian Christians were kind of meddling with, right? They weren't just going in to get meat in the temple. They were they were participating in idol worshiping, getting the steak in at the same time and the dessert. They were having an orgy. And they were saying, all of this is fine because I'm a strong Christian and we have freedom in Christ. So... As sin is about craving something, Paul talks about, it really makes sense where Paul leads this conversation into the bread and the cup, which is the communion with God. And that's what we see in verse 16 and 17. It said, partners with Christ. The word partner here, this in Greek, is koinonia. And some of you heard it. It's a community. And what it basically means, the better translation of it is communion, being together, real intimacy together. So it's a communion with God, right? Communion with God, that's what he's talking about. Then he talks about the other table. There's a table of the Lord, the communion with the Lord, and the other table is about craving something else. Um, and that is communion with the demons. That's in verse 19. So Paul is giving us actually a really good visual imagery, right? There's a table of the Lord, and there are other tables. And these are table of demons. Um, and we're looking around, and they're going around sipping and eating stuff from all these different tables. And Paul is saying here, you cannot do that, right? I mean, you ever been on a? I've, I've been on a date where I'm on a date. I should be focused on the person in front of me, but I'm not. I actually like gone off and made phone call to another girl. and say, ah, this isn't really fun. I was <laughs> something. Oh, looking around and something. And you've done this, not maybe at dates. But even with your family dinner. Kids do this all the time, right? Teenagers go to dinner with the family. They don't want to be there. They're looking around. What else can I do? They're on their phone, you know, doing stuff because they don't want to be there. They're doing something else. They desire something else. They crave something else. So the scenery here, table of the Lord and there are other, other tables. And these are table of demons. And Paul is saying you cannot do that, right? You can't do both. It's either table of the Lord or other tables. Table of demons. You can't do that. Um, And he's saying, you're upsetting God because God is jealous God. And he's saying, are you sure you want to go this route? And he refers to, in verse 18, what he said, previous verses, which is, remember Israel, what they did? When they looked around and, you know, went to the table of demons, what happened to them? A bunch of them died, and there's like a destroyer came out and killed them a lot, and You don't want to mess with this. And you look at judges, what happens when Israelites engage in idol worshipping and not worshipping God? What happens? They get enslaved. Yeah, they get slaved. They suffer, right? So Paul is saying, you can't do that, right? You don't want to go that route. You know what had happened in history. So look at verse 23 and 33. That's another section. And this section actually closes out the whole thing from chapter 8. Uh, to this part, right? The, to end of this section. And verse 23, 32, 33, uh, which is the part one, you see how I made a sections of that so that you can easily see. Verse 23, 33, uh, 32, and 33 is, is part one and part seven. And basically, it's the summary of his instructions. And some of it we have already heard. He's summarizing all the stuff that he's instructed. And in between them, verse 25, 27, 29b, 31, is Paul's illustration or application of how, go, how to go about this, right? Saying, yeah, go ahead and eat meat on these occasions, because these are your questions, because they asked questions that's very about applicable things, like, what do we do when this happens? So he's giving instruction on, when this happens, go ahead and eat meat, right? Which is part 2, 3 and six. remember the ring composition of seven parts where is the, the the focal point the point of the whole thing in the middle right So the middle part is the section is the part four which is the main point and that is verse 28 and 29a. that's the one in the center but it, but if someone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice. So what Paul is saying is all of these other occasions go ahead and eat. Go ahead and eat meat because, you know, there is really no real idols. You know, it's not real. But in this case, he says, don't eat, right? And what's the case? Again, this is a case that has to do with conscience. He said in previous uh, parts in chapter 8 about weak people with Christians with weak conscience and how to deal with people with different conscience and how to not make situations where other Christians would stumble and confuse others, that's what he's focusing on. His But in this case, don't eat the meat that has been offered to sacrifice. So Paul has given conclusion to the section, kind of summarized all his instructions, made it very like applicable, um, and gave examples. So let's just go ahead and focus on that summary of his instructions, which is from between chapter, uh, uh, verse 23 and 33. And I have that here for you in the back, So what it does, we want to try to take what Paul has said here to Corinthians and try to apply it to our situation, right? But obviously, our situation isn't like that. We don't have idol temples where we go make you know give sacri- make sacrifices, have steak dinner, and you know have orgy. Or do we, right? <laughs> I thought about this, oh well, we don't, but then we do. Like you go to Las Vegas, <laughs> you enter into a place that is kind of like a temple, like, right? you know, Caesars Palace, or Luxor, or, you know, and you enter, and you, you offer sacrifices through the slot machines, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hoping that you win, and you point. do, when you do win, you actually get to have orgy, right? Like, you see in the movies, like, what are the movies? The Hangover. Hangover, right? There you go, right? People do. I mean, it's not so far away from us. We do have this, Right. Um, we obviously don't have anyone accusing or cautioning us about eating different kinds of meat, but we do have like vegans and vegetarians <laughs> that tell us that we're not supposed to eat meat. So all of this is applicable, but more than we realize, right? Um, because what this is about is our action as Christians and our intention as we live and do stuff in our lives with non believers, right? This is Corinthian Christians asking about what do we do in this case. Right? Life in Corinth for Christians, we mentioned this, is very much like life for Christians in San Francisco. Right? We're not different. It's very alike. We deal with non-believers who watch us and who examine us and who we ought to be the to whom we ought to be the extension of God's love. And we are small in percentage. We are, you know, um, the minority in this group. So this is basically same as what we, when we say, wait, when someone asks us and tells us, like wait, aren't you like Christian or something? When you go out and when you're having fun, when you're hanging out, when stuff... <laughs> start the beginning. <laughs> so I missed some stuff there. Okay, that's okay. So it's not a... It's not an easy stuff. It's not simple. So some people take the easy way. And what we know is there are two groups. It's said that these things basically split into two groups. One is a fundamentalist, right? It's like the division between the Midwest and West Coast. Or um, fundamentalist and the liberals, right? Um, You either like completely move away from everything. Like you don't hang out with Christians. You send your kids to homeschool, Christian college. You, You stay in church. You hang out with your church friend only. Right? There are these people, and there are other people who say, oh, I'm going to hang out with everybody and do everything because we're free in Christ. Right? Kind of like the Corinthians, like, I'm going to do everything. Uh, In West Coast, that's who we find. Like, they say they're Christians, but they go out and do everything. They're hanging out on Sundays, going stuff on Sundays. They go out to parties and these fundraising things, which is basically another excuse for parties. And your friends do these things. Even though they're saying Christians, they said, well, it's okay. Jesus saved us. Jesus forgives our sins. We can't do this stuff. So they either, we either split into two groups, which is not good, which is, you know, just being lazy, right? Which is, because in the end, neither group really shares anything about the gospel, right? Fundamentally, it doesn't share anything about God's love. They're always judging from a distance. Liberals don't tell people about sin. They say, oh, I don't want to offend people if I tell them about any sin. And I don't want to feel bad because I'm engaged in it. I don't want to say these are sin. I don't want to talk about sin. So neither group really shares anything about the gospel and they're just lazy. Because it's hard and it's not easy. Uh, But this is what Paul is instructing us. So let's deal with the questions. You know, when we ask, should I, can I, must I, Paul gives us, At least five questions for us to deal with, and you have that here. Summary of Paul's point. And first one, before we even talked about, is it beneficial? Is is it allowed? Right? We have to know that. And Paul talked about is it lawful? And basically, that's saying is it allowed? Because Corinthians are saying, "Well, we can do whatever we want," right? Which is very immature. Like you hear junior high schoolers saying this, like, "I'm free." I'm free from elementary school. They think they can do anything. Like Josh knows this. They're most obnoxious kids, right? And they realize, oh, it's not so. It's not. You know, you, I still live in my parents' house. Who has the authority? Parents do, right? Junior high kids come and I can do whatever I want. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> as long as you live in my house, you live by my rules. So it's a question of whose authority do we live under, whether it's like lawful stuff, state laws, whether it's house rules. Company rules, school rules. Is it lawful? Is it allowed for us to do? Right, because we just don't have freedom. We have responsibilities and stuff. Right, college kids. You go off to college. I ask a few college, new college. Like, what do you? What? What's so different about college? And they say, I don't have to go to school all the time. I can only go like on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I have freedom. Um, right. We. You know. So the question we ask is, is it allowed? Right. And also in Bible, is it what does it, what does it say in the Bible? Is it lawful in the Bible? If it says, no, you can't do this, then don't. And if it doesn't say in the Bible, like smoking, smoking joints, <laughs> doesn't say in the Bible, right? But it's illegal. But what if you're in Colorado, right? Um, one thing that Paul says is here, look at verse 27. He says, <laughs> If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you, are, and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is said before you without raising any question to the ground of conscience. We have conscience. So Paul is saying, use your conscience. God, give us conscience. Is this a good thing for you? Should you do this? Right? Use, your, use our conscience. Whose authority is over us? What does it say in the Bible? And when that's all done, you've checked all of that then we ask the question, which Paul is asking, is it beneficial? Right? Is it good for us? Is it beneficial for us to watch this movie? Is it beneficial for us to listen to this kind of song and go to this kind of band uh, concert, go to this kind of party, hang out with this kind of people, take this job, date this person? Is it beneficial? Once you have tackled the issue, like, is it allowed? Okay, it's allowed. But is it beneficial? Right? Things, you know, there are things that are sinful and illegal, and then there are things that are just downright stupid, right? People do well. I can't do that. Well, but that's stupid. Why are you doing it, right? Is it beneficial for us? And not just for you, because the second question is, what about others? Does it build others up, especially within the community? Does it benefit others that you do this? That means, which is really the big question. Is it loving thing to do? Is it loving? Does my action care for others or just me? Is it about my own selfishness, my own happiness, my own freedom? Or, or is it about others, caring for others, loving others? Right? People who smoke around children, I hate them. <laughs> you know, and I can't say anything because it's, they're allowed to do it. You know, it's not illegal are yeah, not to. You can call the police. i call police before. In some places, uh, like, there are a certain distance away from the building. <laughs> Seriously, I have. i seen a mother on there Good. I like you around. Okay. <laughs> I like you to be around when I'm around, right? Like These people, right? Um, they say, what? Well, I'm not breaking any law, right? The question is, is it beneficial? I don't care. I only do, like, smoke once a month, right? It doesn't hurt me in any way. But does it, is it loving for these children that are near you? Or people cursing? Like near children? Um, at some point, because we have to factor in the other people. Like, is what I do, is it loving to others? That's what Paul is saying. For does it confuse people? When I do this, what will people think about God and my faith? What will other believers, uh, those who follow me, who look up to me, think, will it make others stumble? That was Paul's whole point. If it make other people stumble, don't do it. Right? Um, you work at certain jobs. What would people think of you and your faith if you do this kind of things? If you take this kind of job? Like, what would you do? Like, drinking for Nazareth. Um I personally don't, you know, believe and it's, it's not sin to drink alcohol. But what does our the Nazarene bylaw, Nazarene manual says, no, we, at this point, we don't drink, right? So, when there are Nazarenes, I'm not saying that I do, when there are Nazarenes, but when there are Nazarenes, I consciously say, oh, I don't drink. And people remind me too, like you go to Young Life stuff, Matt Walker, go out, oh, Dan and Josh, they're Nazarenes, don't offer them anything, right? What would people think, you know, will it make other people stumble? So, we got to think through this through. Lastly, how well people think of Jesus? Does it make, you know, does it please others? Does it lead to others being saved? Because that's what it's all about, right? If our action only included this, will it lead people to be saved? Then it will change dramatically in what we do, the, way, the things we do, right? Um, so this is a hard thing. Right? This is a hard thing. Because we live, like Corinthians, we live in a society, we got friends who are non-believers, family who are non-believers, we love them, we care for them. Really, the heart, the reason that this is so hard is, you know, how can we love people and have relationship with them and disagree with them at the same time, their lifestyle and their beliefs, and still show them that we care. Right? I love you, but I Disagree with the way you live. Disagree with what you say about your needs are, because you need God, right? To love people and still tell them the truth is hard. It's tough. Be their friends and participate in this culture without really affirming the lifestyle. Just because I'm hanging out with you and you're getting drunk and all, it doesn't mean that I affirm that I'm blessing this behavior. These things that you're doing to yourself and doing it to others—it's tough, you know. Like when people ask you to like pray for me, like, "Hey, can you? You're a Christian. Can you pray for me that I hook up with this girl?" Like, I don't know how to pray. <laughs> <laughs> Have you? I, I come across this, right? People ask for prayer, like, "I don't know how to pray for this." Um, you come across this, like people ask you, and like, "I, I, I can't bless this. What do I do?" Right? I love you, care for you, but I don't want to give you an impression that this is okay. So how do we do this? The little added part that Paul puts in at the end kind of gives an answer, and that's a simple answer. When we ask, this is really hard to do, we don't know what to do, how do we do it? And Paul basically says in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, simple, just do as Jesus did. That's what he says. I copy Jesus, copy me if you can't see, you, don't, you can't really see anything else. Just copy me is what he right? Because Jesus did exactly what we need to do. He hung out with non-believers, right? But never affirmed their sinful ways and convicted them, but loved them at the same time. Jesus did it. right? So this is why you go to Bible study. This is why we study the Bible, so we can learn. right? Jesus did it. And this, that's why the whole, the mission or our slogan is: we are community that are learning to live in love like Jesus, because Jesus did, and we want to learn from Jesus. So Paul says, if you want to do it, go and you know do it. It's okay on your conscience; it doesn't hurt or you or others, and confuse anyone. It cares for others and shares Jesus' love. Then go ahead and do it. If all this qualifies, then do it. If not, don't do it. Now, we take these things, but Paul kind of puts all things, summarizes the whole thing in one, kind of one sentence. Right? He sums it all by saying, and this is a really famous verse, and that's verse 31. Let's all read together. Verse 31. Here we go. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Now you know, you've heard this verse, now you know that in this context the focus is on eat or drink, because that's what Paul is really talking about, but everything else, like whatever, he says, whatever is included. He says, do everything for the glory of God. Sounds good, right? Sounds great. And you heard it many times, but what does it even mean? When you say glory of God. And this is where people go, okay, that's great. But what does it mean? What do I do? What does it mean to do everything for the glory of God? What does that even mean, the glory of God? Glory of God is mentioned so often in the Bible. And it's huge, right? We know that God holds the glory. It's mentioned 275 times in the Bible um, throughout Old Testament, New Testament. And when we say glory... And we covered this earlier, but it means very different things. We don't have a complete understanding of what is really the glory of God because we can't see it, and it's so vast. But we can put like words like splendor, beauty, magnificence. All the songs we sing has these words, right? Radiance, uh, weightiness, you know, transcendence, holiness, honor, excellence, majesty. All of this describe God's glory. And we know what happens when people encounter the God's glory, right? Uh, People worship, they're in wonder and awe and fear and conviction and repentance all at the same time. This is the glory of God. So we don't really have a complete understanding of what the glory of God is, but we get kind of what it is. It's just that awesomeness, awesomeness of God that is beyond understanding. We know that. So the question is, how do I, in stuff of my life, glorify God? Um... And how important is this glory of God? Paul mentions here, I'm copying Jesus, learn from Jesus. And you look at Jesus' life, this is how we can know that He glor- he lived the complete life that's glorifying God. And so much that Paul mentions and in the writers in the New Testament that Jesus was the radiance of God's glory. He is the image of God's glory. Jesus was. Because His life was all about God's glory. But still, the talk about God's glory it's kind of distant don't you agree um, if I was in if we were like in a larger church and people were listening and if I say says do everything for God's glory this is when people go alright you know, their kind of heads comes down because they well it's kind of I don't know because when we're talking about God's glory I think this is the one of the worst misunderstanding of our faith and I'll explain further on this is that it's either living for God's glory or living for my happiness. It's one or the other. And I say that's misunderstanding. And I explain a little bit more on that. It's either my pleasure, because I hate the word happiness. Like, we're not, are we supposed to be happy in this life? No, I, I love the. I mentioned, like, you've seen the, the, uh, the HBO series of Vikings, right? The little son, his son comes and I don't know. I want to figure out what makes me happy in life. And Father smacks it I go, who told you you're supposed to be happy? <laughs> right? Um, I hate the word happiness because, you know, we. you grow up, you kind of know that well, there's no happiness in life. It's kind of naïveness. But at the same time, may not be using the word happiness, but we seek pleasure. Like people seek pleasure and that's what people live for. Pleasure. Like I get pleasure out of Achieving this, doing this, having this, right? Or some people completely go Zen and say, oh, I don't have a pleasure of anything. I'm content with everything. But at the same time, that's your pleasure, right? Being Zen and not being content with everything, like not desiring anything. But that, yeah, that's a pleasure. So the misunderstanding is when we think, when we hear the word, live for the glory of God, oh, okay, so this is like doing church stuff, reading Bible, going to church, doing... Young life and all this boring stuff. And you think, what about me? What about my life, right? Um, Here's how I understand. Let me set the ground on this. First, glory of God is huge because it's a central importance in the universe. That Jesus died on the cross not for your sins, not for our sins, but for the glory of God. If you haven't heard that, let that sink in. Jesus died for glory, glory of God, not your sin. Nowhere in the Bible where Jesus says, "Let me take up this cross so that all these people will be sinless." He doesn't say that. What does he say? Especially in the Capernaum and uh, in the uh, Gethsemane, he says, "Let this cup to me for who? For what? For the glory of God." That's how important it is. Jesus died on the cross for the glory of God. Everything in this universe is about the glory of God. Secondly, we are made to glorify God. That's why we were made. That's why we were created. And you look at especially the Psalms. Psalm has such great theology. Like read Psalms every day. It gives you such a great theology. And repeatedly it says. We are made for what? For His glory, for His glory, to praise His glory. That's what we're made for. Then you say, well, what about my life? What about my pleasures? Because I want to be happy. I want to be wealthy. I want to be healthy, and I want to be smart, and I don't want to be broke, and you know, I want to live in a big house and all that. What about my pleasure? How do I glorify God if I'm, you know, if I'm not doing well? Like if I'm broke and I'm sick, I'm doing really bad. How do I thank God and praise God? How can my life be about glorifying God when I'm broke? When things aren't going so well. I met with the, uh, someone this week and his life wasn't going so great. It's like, it's, it's, it's not good for me. I don't know how to go to God. I mean, you know, right now I need to focus on getting my life better. And then I have reason to praise God. It, that's yeah. I told him, you know, that's just bad theology, <laughs> because you're not going to God when you need God the most. And you look at other religions; that's how other religions are. Like, praise God when He gives stuff, curse God if He doesn't. Right? That's other religion. But our our belief is that we go to God when we need the God most, because He's constantly there. So, is it the question of picking either God's glory or my pleasure? And I want to say, when we pick our own pleasure, that's when we usually sin. Don't you agree? That's when we usually sin. We move around to other tables. That's what we talked about. There's table of the Lord. And when we are not satisfied in communion with God, we look for other tables. We look for other tables. So we choose what we think will make us happy and not glorify God. But then again, are we really happy? Like, are we really happy if we just get a house, get a job, have a family, have, you know, iPhone, iPad, you know, have children who are successful, retire good? Are we happy then? Are we really? Does that make people happy? I mean, you look at. You know, I don't even need to mention, look at celebrities who's getting counseled, who's got drug issues, who's committed suicide. Are they happy? I mean, look look at, you know, celebrities, musicians, people who kill themselves, and they have everything. You know, it's, you know, they're miserable, depressed, people who have all these things, suicidal. They're going to counselors, they're getting therapy, they're taking pills, and, you know, they say, well, I'm not happy, then have you tried these things, you know? And they, you know, I tried having, I tried sex, tried drugs, tried friendship, tried, you know, having family, having kids, try making money, try buying a new house, tried buying new cars, try having pets, <sighs> all kinds of, like, 10 cats or dogs, I tried all these things. Does that make people happy? No. So... Because, here's why. We're going to close with this. Glory of God is our happiness. Because, when we are pursuing the glory of God, we're, we're doing what we're created to do. That's what we're made to do. If we glorify God, we'll be happy. If we don't, we'll be miserable. We'll have all this stuff but that's not what we're created to do. So, the greatest pleasure in life is to glorify God. It's not to choose one. It's not to say I want to be happy. Uh, it's not to say I want to glorify God, but I want to be happy too. It's I want to be I want to glorify God, so that I can be happy. We choose other things. We're satisfied not enough in the table of the Lord. Look at this quote by C. S Lewis. I wish I can read this with the English accent, But right? So look at this quote. He says, "It would seem that <laughs> sounds so English, right? Sounds very English. Uh, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies. such an inner slump. <laughs> Sorry, English, right? Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And he says this, we are far too easily pleased. Isn't that the truth? We're far too easily pleased. Please, we're satisfied with these things. Jesus offers us God, and we said, "No, I want a car." Jesus offers us communion with God, and he said, "No, I want an iPhone. No, I want a girlfriend. I want a boyfriend." There's a communion of God. There's a table of God, and we're looking at, us, "No, no, that's not what we want." And we, we're too far easily pleased of these things. It's sad, isn't it? And you see this, you know, in the example in the Bible, Old Testament Bible, Esau. What did Esau take? A bowl of soup over the right, over for the family lineage, right? Over the blessing of God. That's what we are. That's who we are. We're far too easily pleased with other stuff. We're not satisfied with God offers us to communion with God. You know, I think when I look at my life, I think I'm really blessed because I was never satisfied with life. Like I was suicidal at the age of 10 because I saw life and I said, this is pointless. Like why do I even live? If I wasn't born at all, it would have been much better because life offers me nothing. So, I actually think that's blessing. When I meet people who are like down in life, and like, life is meaningless, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I think, you are so blessed. Because you're not too well pleased with stuff that offers in life. You will be satisfying God. That's the truth, right? And when I meet people who are so easily pleased with these things, my heart gets broken because you don't know what's really... What would really satisfy you? We want to be pleased in life. We want to be happy. Then we have to have God. And through Jesus we can, today, now, here, this is what it says. You know, John Piper, who talks about all this thing about glorifying God, one thing he says is, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. That we're not easily pleased with other stuff, but we're only pleased with the communion of God. And we're going to come to the table of the Lord, and the question we want to ask ourselves, as we partake these things, are you satisfied with what God offers to us, with communion, koinonia, fellowship with God? Or are you looking elsewhere? Let me pray, and we'll receive the table of the Lord. Father, help us to be honest and reflect ourselves. Help us not to be easily pleased with other things in life, but help us to be desperate for that which we were created to do, which is being with you, which is lifting you up, which is yelling out that you are greatest, that you are the most glorious. Let our lives be all about and help us to decline, (laughs) the little things offered in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.